Hello everyone, I am Marcibel and this is the Marcibel Podcast. Possible podcast, a podcast about culture and cultural nomads designed for blacks and Asians and those who love them. I'm your host, Mosibo, Nigerian born, US educated, Korean speaking, struggling intellectual. I have on the podcast with me a very important guest and someone that was very important in the Mosibo podcast as a whole. And so I will talk more about that later. But in getting us started with this episode, I'd like to introduce her. Uh, she's a freelance graphic and web designer based in Austin, Texas. That was actually where we met. And I hope is to keep creating work that can serve to communicate beautiful messages, inspire others, and change the world. And like, uh, we have a commonality in that we both went to the University of Texas at Austin and there's a saying there that says what starts here changes the world and um, in her free time she loves to dabble in HTML and CSS she also loves to go on food adventures which by looking at her pictures I have to talk about more about that because it doesn't look like that <laughs> and she loves to learn new skills to add to her arsenal everyone join me welcoming Teresa Niwen I'm going to call her Teresa from here on but she has a middle name which we're going to even explore more about so what's up Teresa hi <laughs> Hi again. Thank you so much for coming on today. Really, really, you know, nice to have you aboard. Mm-hmm. So I'm so happy to be talking with you. Aww, so great. Thank you. Thank you. So now let's let's get started. Tell me a little bit more about yourself, especially with your middle name, because I know there's a story behind that. Yeah, sure. So I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin, but before that, I lived in Houston, mm-hmm. and uh, my real name is Ni Win. I was put into a private school when I was younger, and kids just kind of had trouble saying my name. They would kind of just make fun, calling me elbow or like kneecap and children, I know. But (laughs) so um, I am Catholic as well, and I was baptized with the saint name Teresa. Mm -hmm. So I just decided from then point on in elementary to just go by Teresa to just make it easier for the kids around me to call me by that name. And it just kind of stuck with me throughout my whole elementary, middle, high school, and college career. Uh, isn't it? I, I notice that a lot, you know, amongst us, like those of us that are not born here in the U.S. or even those that are born in the U.S. but that have like a different culture from what you would call the mainstream American culture. Is mm-hmm. that we do so many things to try to make it easier. I, I, let me give an example. Like with this name thing, I have a lot of Chinese friends that on coming here for mm-hmm. whatever reason, sometimes it's usually for the passport issues. They have to get an English name. And in your case, I mean, you, I'm sure you were born here, right? Oh uh, yes, I was. And you, I mean, you, you're American as can be, but then you still had to even go through that length of having to switch your name around to move it from need to Teresa so people can be comfortable saying it I mean if I can say Arnold Schwarzenegger or um, all this kind of non-American whatever that means names I mean why is it so difficult for Americans to at least when I say Americans like those that are not very patient like mm-hmm. you have a lot of Americans that are not very culturally patient to learn how to spell people's names and then yeah. why why should the burden be on us to like find mm-hmm. ways to adapt our names so they can make it easier for them to understand I don't know I find that really interesting no, I definitely agree and it's just like when I was younger, that never occurred to me. I yeah. think I fit in when you were little, you know. Yeah. And I, since I went to a private school, a majority of the kids were white. Mm. And so I was one of the very, very few Asians that were in that school to begin with. And I guess I just wanted to fit in. And then when I was younger, I never saw it that way. Yeah. But the older I got, the more I was just more, I was more accepting of my name now. I want to say that. It's probably like <laughs> a like a wonderful thing for you to be named, like, you know. Yeah, no, I love it. It's just now it's gone on for so long. It's kind of a habit it's for difficult. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Well, thanks for sharing that. So tell us more a little bit about, so you, you have a Vietnamese um, background. Like, are you yes. both, both your parents, are they from Vietnam? Yes, both our parents are from Vietnam, and they both immigrated from Vietnam to the U.S. And my father particularly has a very, 
very interesting story on, you know, how he came to the U.S. and how he started his life and how he got to where he is right now. Do you want to tell so, us about um, that? Sure, of course. So for my father, he was around 18 years old when he tried to escape from Vietnam during the communist regime yeah. after the Vietnam War. Um, both his parents were very anti-communist, like communist, and so they didn't want that life for him. So he kind of just got on the boat at 18 and just was on the boat for 7 to 10 days wow. to take that trip America. And whenever he got here, um, he kind of just went to California. He had to start over. He worked as a janitor, and he got his green card. And after five years, he applied for his citizenship. Wow. Yeah, and then he also sponsored seven of my cousins after being um, in the United States as well. Seven? Yeah, so he's taking wow. care. Wow. He was around 18 or 19. He took care of seven kids. No way. <laughs> He worked full-time, went to school full-time. Um, he taught himself English. Um, yeah, but he started off as a janitor, and then he started learning more, um, doing electronic assembly for 10 years, and then going on to be an electrician, and then electrical engineer after that. Oh, wow. And so That's he, scary. Yeah, no, he's a very interesting guy. He started from the very, very bottom. And uh, for my mom, she... My uncle is already a U.S. citizen, so he okay. sponsored my grandpa, and then he took my mom over as well. Okay. And then so my parents met uh, while they were working together at a job, uh, uh, being an electric, uh, electronic technician. Yeah. And then that's how they came to be. But they both um, started from the bottom, and they wow. both... Yeah, and so my dad especially worked very, very hard to get to where he was right now, which probably heavily influences on how um, the expectations he has for his kid. But as a whole, like, looking at that legacy your parents have set before you, how they, you know, worked, you know, using their album to like, get where they are, how would you say that has really affected you generally and how your outlook of life? It, whenever I was younger, I was very, very naive. My dad bought a laundromat in Texas, and so I had two younger brothers as well, so we lived in our laundromat. Like, my brothers and I shared a room, my parents shared a really small room, and we would wake up, and we would work and help out our parents, and they would still send us off to private school because they wanted the best for their kids, and I just uh-huh. took that all for granted when I was younger. Yeah. I just thought kind of like, oh, this is normal, or this yeah. is not a big deal, but the older I got, uh, my parents started explaining me more about, you know, where they came from, yeah. and like, struggles they went through, and I definitely admire their work ethic. They're yeah. such hard workers but they never really let their children see, see that. that you know what what you just said now just it really reminds me of my own background as mm-hmm. i went home recently for the first time in seven years and it was really the first time i sat down with my parents and we talked about just you know how things were like because growing up I, we didn't have like ideal housing conditions mm-hmm. we didn't live in like in, in affluent neighborhoods but my mm-hmm. parents took all they had they put it into my education and my brothers educa- i have two brothers as well and they sent us to private schools where i had kids that would you know travel abroad every summer and i couldn't even get past you know my state I couldn't even leave the country because we, we couldn't afford that. And mm-hmm. so that, in a way, I started harboring some form of complex growing up because there was so much affluence that I saw around me in school that wasn't mirroring my housing situation and where I grew up. And it wasn't until I grew up that I, I started realizing that, you know what, this guy has actually sacrificed a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, for us. But you don't get to see that, like you said, as a kid. You get yeah. very impatient. You want you demand for things you necessarily don't need, but because your, your school friends have them, you want to have them, you want to have the latest shoes, you want to get that BMX bicycle, whatever was, you know, raining then. But now that I grew older, I was like, wow that was a huge sacrifice because I could have used that money to like you know buy better houses but no yeah. education was priority and I think that's one thing African parents and Asian parents have in common is that you know um, that campaign for education especially for their kids to do better than they did mm-hmm 
Yeah, for sure. I definitely, like, I just never thought, you know, whatever the kids wanted, my parents would try to accommodate as best as they could to make their kids happy. And, you know, we were definitely very spoiled for how little we did have. And I definitely appreciate that more as I get older and, like, working for myself. And I definitely see all the struggles that my parents go through, and I appreciate it so much, even though I definitely took it for granted when I was younger. Well, that's good. I mean, it's good that we've all come to that point of, well, I would say all, but both of us have come to that point of consciousness to really see that our parents just give us the best they could when they could. So, anyway, it's good. Now, talking about the Asian stereotype, and we've kind of started talking about that, is, you know, there's a huge expectation for your kids. And you did mention that about, you know, for what your parents have done for you, there's an expectation they have for you. Now, yeah. maybe people that don't really get it might just see, see it like, um, oh, your parents are just forcing you to do something. But I think for the most part, it's work, you know? Um, but there are also some arguments you can make for times that it doesn't work. But for you, what would you say were some of the expectations your parents had for you? Um, it was just because since our parents were not from the U.S., they don't really know all the job opportun- like all the jobs that are in the U.S. that are available. You know, they mm-hmm. they just know doctors and, and they, engineers. <laughs> yeah, the engineers like. Like, jobs that make money, that's all they kind of just knew Yeah. coming into the United yeah. States as well. So that's kind of, they never really forced me to do anything, per se, but it's just like, that's like, that's all I would hear, you know? That's like, oh, you know you know what, your cousin's a doctor, or, like, this person is making so much money, like, look at this person being a lawyer, and so, like, I just grew up thinking, okay, it has to be some kind of doctor, because that's all I ever knew, and that's all I ever grew up thinking I could be. Yeah. And so that was kind of, like, double expectations that my parents had, and so during school... I just kind of had that in my head, like, okay, I'm going to go and be an optometrist. I'm going to go, this is my game plan. This is what I'm going to do. And I was pretty sheltered as well. So I just, they, I, they didn't really control everything that I did, but, they def- but I was definitely exposed to only certain things. And so I think with that in mind, I just never saw anything else that I wanted to do. Pretty much, you know, I had to get straight A's in school. I had to, and being the oldest of my yeah. sister. You set well, that example. Yeah, yeah kind of like that trial child, you know, you kind of have to be perfect. You got to have to, you know, be a really good example, as you said. For and being your- female, too. Be for the yeah, other part. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> being female and being the first child, you just thrust into the arms of responsibility. Now, and I know along the line of that, sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And, you know, being female is one of the things we really, really, really do best. Let me ask you this question. Do you have fear of failing sometimes? And if yes, what, what's that like for you? Um, I definitely do. I felt like, um, so whenever I got into University of Texas at Austin, I was super excited. Um, I started off as a bio major my first year. I took chem, calc, bio, and some other um, elective courses. I took 17 hours. I was way in over my head. Um, I thought this was what I wanted to do, and I started going to classes, and there were all these other kids that are so much more passionate about mm-hmm. what they do than I was. I was kind of just going with the flow and, you know, just kind of just being there, and then I realized that, you know, I can't do this. I'm not that interested in these subjects. Like, I can do well, but... I don't like it. I was yeah. I was studying, but I wasn't enjoying studying. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, oh, this wasn't for me. And when I was younger, I've always been really interested in Photoshop and designing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it kind of just started off as, you know, Photoshopping me with, like, my favorite boy band. Back Who was in- that? Was it NSYNC or, or Backstreet Boys? Yeah, Backstreet Boys. Just, and, like, maybe, like, a little bit of Aaron Carter. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but I would just pretty much just kind of, like, Photoshop things and, like, edit pictures. And I just liked doing that, but that was always seen as, like, it was a hobby for me. I never saw it as a career path at all. It was just something that I enjoyed to do. And then, so I started taking um, some advertising classes at yeah. UT, and then I realized that, wow, I actually like doing this. And I started 
participating in some orgs and making t-shirts and flyers. And then people were telling me, like, wow, you're really good. Like, you should really, you know, look into this. And so I looked into it. I took some classes. I found that I really enjoyed doing this. But then my parents really wanted me to still pursue this um, medical career path. And I was very scared of telling them that I switched my major because I feel like I would have failed them. Like, I, I, I think I... I think, like, I, I was scared that they would see as I didn't try, and I tried to take the easy way out. And so <laughs> I didn't tell my parents and changed my major until two years after I did. No way. It was at the graduation and the side. It was like, why, why are we going into liberal arts? Mommy, I'm no longer in science. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you, how did you was, break the news to them? Was it slowly, like, mom and dad, we need to talk? Well, it was very, it was very dramatic and bad. <laughs> because, um, you know, I switched my... At, my major from biology to advertising and my parents didn't know what advertising was either like in their mind advertising was someone going door to door selling them things you know they had no idea what it was they didn't know what make money and that makes sense yeah i was terrified it was i think i decided to go back home to houston and around that time it was it should be around the time i would be taking my oat uh to apply to autometry school and i felt like you know, it's gone on for way too long. I can't, like, not tell them anymore. <laughs> and I decided to tell them, like, oh, hey, like, I switched my major. And they were so upset. Um, I think they were they were definitely more upset about me hiding it from them for so long before uh, telling them more than me switching my major. But I think I told them, you know, I was just scared that they would be angry and yeah. that they wouldn't improve and that they would feel like I failed them and that, you know, I wasn't doing what I um, I'm sorry? I said it's it's like they probably felt bad like you couldn't open up to them earlier on. They were more concerned about that than you actually switching your major. Like you couldn't have that yeah. conversation with them. For sure, but it's just kind of I think it's just kind of that the expect the amount of expectations, you know, they had for me. I I think it I just didn't want to fail them and the only way for me to not fail them was to not tell them. Yeah. So I think that's one of the main reasons why I kept the, kept it from them for so long, just because you know, I, I personally didn't even know if you know what was going to happen either because I never thought about this this road this path that I was going to take so yeah. I was kind of unsure about my future as well and so that would only make them even more worried and I think we're a lot better after that happened we're a lot better at, at it now okay. like talking to each other because I don't know with Asian parents you're not whenever I was younger we never really talked uh, my parents like, still, you didn't have that con- those conversations you just you listen to them and they were always right about stuff you, can, you didn't have a place to like argue, not argue but upset yourself and, like the mm-hmm. way you see American kids do with their parents you're like you try to in yes. African household you'll be buried alive <laughs> yeah for sure you know and that's how I felt when I was younger and you know I, like the older you get it, the easier it is to talk to your parents time, yeah because you're older now yeah. and you're like yeah, I'm not scared of you anymore I ain't scared of no ghosts <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, um, right, I think after that happened, our relationship definitely got a lot better, because um, now we are more open with each other, so I didn't realize how hurt my parents would be, you know, that I kept it from them, and I should have known, but in that time, in that moment, all I thought about was disappointing them, and that I didn't think to, to see how they would feel if they didn't know that I changed my major either, yeah, yeah. and so the only thing me was, like, failing them, and disappointing them, and making them mad at me, and... After we talked it out, you know, it, it's become a lot better. My parents are a lot more open with me and I to them. I'm just glad that it happened and that it was something that brought us close together as, like, 
parent and child. Very good. Uh, so you you started with you know biology, hoping to go to ophthalmology school, and then you along that way you started attending some classes in advertising, and then you found that you loved it. So you're probably one of those people that they are working in where they really love. And you know how they say if you love what you do, you don't have to work a day in your life. So that's <laughs> <laughs> it's good to figure that out. So what would you say influenced your your love for advertising? Were there some things you were, you were exposed to? Were there some artists you liked? Like what about advertising? And was it because you went to UT Austin where they have like one of the best advertising <laughs> colleges in the in the, in the states? That's definitely one of it. Um, I've always, as I mentioned before, I've always loved doing Photoshop and designing things. Um, and then when I got to UT, I got to make t-shirts and flyers, and I got to make some flyers for charity events and t-shirts for breast cancer awareness. And I realized that I can actually, it sounds like a stretch, but you change the world through design. And I feel like um, design is a key factor in anything that you do, you know, whether it be websites or, you know, events. I feel like depending on how the design goes and how it's executed, it can definitely set a tone for what kind of event that is. And so I just want to kind of just put my work out there and try to get people to see that design is important and design matters. And it can definitely change a person's, either whether it be a person's brand or a company's brand. Or it could help change, you know, a nonprofit to yeah. get them more, to make them seem more, I guess, like legit and get them more funding. And I wanted to pursue more things um, of that nature just because I feel like I didn't realize what important design was, you know, like I was like doctors save lives. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> you're saving lives. All these too. Yeah, but you know, I can do lies too. You know, you I know can... what I just thought about now. You know what? I, you wanted to go to school, um, ophthalmology school to like help people see. You're still doing that, but in a different setting. That is wow. That is very true. Yeah. <laughs> It's all about the eyes. You're still in the field. If someone asks what you do, well, I work with eyes. Oh, you're an ophthalmologist, kind of, but for advertising. That should be the next <laughs> Yeah, it's just, um, and like one thing that really, that definitely I remembered was, I don't remember, like the, what was it, Miss Universe pageant or something? Like uh-huh. Steve Harvey decided oh. to read the contestant's name wrong. And like the reason was for the country, was a country, it was a country. Miss Venezuela or Miss Fr- Yeah, it was a country. Yeah. yeah. And the reason why that happened was just because the design, oh, the layout, somebody, that caught somebody it. messed up. Exactly. It was not like laid out correctly. It wasn't like it wasn't clear who won yeah. like on that card. And yeah. so that's been I feel like yes, the design was very important. Like you could make a huge mistake like that on live T V. Yeah. And so, but yeah, I definitely feel like um, design is very important, and I want people to see that design is just as important as you know any other occupation. And I know that uh, I don't want like I know people don't frown on like not advertising majors, but it's like if you talk about colleges, you know, communications, a liberal arts, they're kind of just like oh, those are easy colleges. Those are you know compared to natural sciences or you know business. People will just kind of say, oh, those are easy majors. You have an easy major. You got it easy. And yeah. so, no, I say that. Oh, no. What you guys do is equally as important as what, you know, every, every other person does. Because we all cannot be one thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, I just want to kind of just say that, yeah, like, what I do might not be as hard as, I guess, like, calculus or organic chemistry. But it's definitely different. And, you know, if you were in my field, you would struggle, you know, just as much as anyone else would if they're not in their, like, relative fields. And so, I think that I just want to show that it is important whether whatever occupation you choose you are important in whatever you want to do in that field for me my position is still entry level so I'm not making as much as I would like yeah but it's good yeah but I'm not going to give up on that you know I still pick up a job a job or two over here just to kind of support myself but I do love to do and I don't mind the extra work just keep pursuing it and so I realize you know yeah I really love this I really want to keep doing what I love and so I wouldn't mind if I have to work harder and like I don't know I just I love it and I just want to keep pursuing it to my best extent yeah well good 
I was the very, very best in what you I'm not lying. I also wanted to talk about how I met Teresa. So, while I was in, was it probably maybe four years ago, three years ago, yeah. about, um, we have this Facebook group for people at, at university where we both went to, where you can, like, you know, buy and sell stuff. And I put up a post about needing someone to help design a logo for a podcast. So, um, news, a little bit of a segue here. I started with a podcast idea with three other people that was about three years ago but it kind of fell apart so Teresa responded to that ad and she's like hey you can help you design your podcast logo and I remember just emailing you we never we never met before in person by the way yeah, <laughs> it's just through emails and she's like this and that and I just liked how you ran with that idea and you know you were very curious you wanted to know more about what the podcast was about and what you could infuse in the logo and when you did send the logo it was you know it was what we wanted so I want to just thank you for that and along oh. that line like how do you say you what, what would you say really helps you connect with people and to help them you know birth that idea that is sitting inside of them but that they, they never knew like what would you say really helps you do what you do very well i think for me i think it's very important like people like to talk about their business and like you know oh we want this logo to look cute or this good or you know and i think it's more important to talk about the person behind it and what kind like what your company or whatever you want to make that brand for what they stand for and what their core values are, and I feel like that should definitely reflect on the logo. And I feel like a lot more work goes into logo and branding than you would think. You know, colors matter, and, like, the way you want to present yourself, the fonts matter, and what you want to do, and how you want to convey, like, that feeling towards someone looking at your logo and your brand. And I feel like, for me, I think it's very important to just have a list of questions and ask, you know, like, what do you want your brand to be? Like, mm-hmm. what kind of person are you? What kind of brand is this? And I think things like that are very important. It's really, really good. Thanks for answering that. Um, so, in addition to logos, can you talk a little bit more about what you can help people do? And after you're done with, you know, talking about your expertise and skills, where people can reach you in case you want to hire you. And I highly recommend Teresa, by the way. She is the brand <laughs> beha- behind the more... If you go to www.mosible.com, like I said, we never met in person. We still haven't met in person. All our conversations <laughs> have been through emails and Facebook chats. I mean, 99% on, on Facebook chat. And I tell her what I want. We don't even talk on the phone. It's like the first time I'm actually hearing your voice. And the first time hearing my voice. Exactly. And so she designed the website, put all of them together, and the layout, the tabs, the pictures, everything on the website. That's all through Teresa right there. So she comes highly recommended. And just tell her you're from the Mossable Podcast. Probably can get a discount from her. Anyways, Teresa, tell us more about what you can do and how people can get to you. Sure. Um, so I just graduated from the University of Texas and with a major in advertising, but a lot of design that I do, I am all self-taught. I didn't really take a lot of courses at UT that would teach me that. I taught everything myself, so I'm still kind of fairly new at it. The rates are very cheap for now, so if you want something, come in or get more experience. But I, I mainly do logos, so if you're thinking of branding yourself or thinking about starting your own business, um, I can definitely help out with logos. I am recently getting into web design, and I am... Really love web designing. So if you're thinking about, you know, how you want your website to be laid out, I can definitely help with the web design aspect of it. Um, I can also make, you know, business cards or stickers or anything like that as well. Um, I'm very versatile, and anything that I don't know how to do, I can learn very quick to do it. So I feel like definitely if you are a new business um, or you want to bring in a new clientele and like kind of just rebrand and switch it up a bit, I can definitely help out with that, and I definitely can curate. Um, a logo or like a brand colors or anything that can help suit whatever you want your business to stand for. Wow. So you can definitely reach me out at my at my website, uh nibwin.com. That's N H I B N G U Y E N dot com. And then uh, on my website there should be um, my email address and anything else you would need to contact me on there as well. 
Well, there you go. She's quite the um, talented lady. Like one stop yeah, for all of your needs. <laughs> yeah, I know. Mention this podcast, and I'll definitely give you a discount for sure. There you go. Thank you so much, Teresa. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious to know more about you know Vietnam, especially given that that's your heritage. Even though you're also American, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm also suspecting that since you're a first generation American, you had a lot of a culture that was infused into you by your parents. Given that you know they started like from the scratch so i wanted to find out what what is it like for you being vietnamese and american and what does that mean to you um so i have only been to vietnam once when i was two years old so i don't remember it very clearly at all but from what the story that my parents are telling me you know they it was just my dad was just a hard worker you know he helped out my my grandpa farms and it was a very rural country a rural area where my dad lived and um after the Vietnam War, yeah. uh, everything became a communist country. And so I think that my dad was very, my, parents, my grandparents, my dad was just like, this is not, like, this is not what we want to do. We don't want to be a part of this. And so, so they kind of left that uh, country because of that. But they definitely instill a lot of the values and the culture that my parents have into their kids. And so my parents are actually very, they're very, very religious as well. Um, they're both Catholics. And so we definitely, that definitely influences a lot of, of how they raise us as well. Um, we went to private school. We went to church every week as a family. We would pray every night in Vietnamese. <laughs> so I know, like, all these Vietnamese prayers. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, um, I think religion is one of the very core values of our family, and I think it's one of the reasons why our family is so close as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, uh, you know, I don't know. I kind of, I'm kind of torn, especially since, you know, in Vietnam or in Asian cultures in general, your girls are supposed to be very modest and very, you know, proper, and you're not supposed to, you know, dye your hair crazy colors or get tattoos or do any of those things. Yeah. But being in America, it's like the total opposite, you know, there are people, yeah, you know, people just change their hair all the time or get their ears pierced or something, and it's just a way for them to express themselves. And for me, I def- whenever I was younger, I definitely struggled with that. Because since I did go to a predominantly white, white school, yeah. Yeah, like, that's all I ever knew. And I wanted to fit in, and I wanted to, you know, I don't know, I would always complain, you know, like, I don't know why, you know, you wouldn't let me do this when, like, you know, so-and-so does it. And my parents, or, oh, sleepovers is a good, is a good example. You, you couldn't have that in African so Whenever I was younger, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I would never be able to have a sleepover. That's just not... I don't know. I'm not speaking for, like, all Asians, but for me personally, like, yeah. that was not something that I was able to when I was younger. And, you know, my parents were like, if you have your own house, why would you go sleep at someone else's house? That doesn't make any sense. You know, like, we, you can't do that. And so we never, I never had sleepovers when I was younger. People can sleep over at my place, though. Like, that's fine. It's just I wouldn't be able to go and sleep over at other people's places. Mm. But it's just, you know, I guess, like, Asian culture, you're supposed to be more reserved and more, you know, independent and just like within your community like within your family and your your race kind mm-hmm. of thing i definitely struggled with that um and now uh i do have a couple of tattoos and my mom has come to terms with them that i have them but when i first got them she was very very turned off about it Aww. she was kept saying you know oh you know we're we're vietnamese this is the asian culture like you're not supposed to have tattoos like asians don't have tattoos and so i definitely really struggled with that because as americans like i feel like they're so carefree about all that you know they you are. can just they do this and you know i would see you know on tv shows you know like children talking back to their parents or you know all this oh, stuff no. you get slapped <laughs> in my home <laughs> yeah. 
they'll fix and, they'll and, fix that mouth for you. <laughs> and also, discipline was one of one of the things that did not happen in the majority of white homes as well. No, no. You know, like I, I, my parents definitely, I would not call it abuse at all. Like I think discipline and abuse are different things. Mm-hmm. And my parents, like they definitely disciplined me. You know, if I did something wrong, like they disciplined me. And I think that's something that a lot of my friends at the time couldn't understand either, you know, because, but that's just part of the culture. That's just how we were raised and how it's just, it's just how everything was back when I was younger. Yeah. And I feel like um, that is part of the Asian culture, is like to be disciplined, to be polite, and to never talk back to your parents, and um, kind of just keep up that really um, perfect facade yeah. of your family and of your life. And so, don't yeah. Don't bring shame think, to the family. Don't bring shame to yeah, the family. Yeah, no. I mean, like, as stereotypical as, like, all that is, I mean, some of it is true, you know, you're like, honor is very important. Yeah. But I think we can also say that about, I mean, there's so many similarities we have. Because you're talking about your parents. It's almost as if I'm like, come on, do we have the same parents? Because that's <laughs> so prevalent in, you know, my family. And I want to say it largely to, you know, many African cultures as well. But I guess at the end of the day, it's that structure we have, like the family, the home, and that deference we give our parents. You know, there's so much respect we have for our parents. And I know for most Asian countries is from that confucian system where you know you always have to honor your parents you always have to yeah. honor your parents and you have such a huge thing in your life so i think it kind yeah. of worked out for you know many of us but along that line i think one of the things i feel like you know in addition to disciplining kids i think where most parents don't get it right is when you don't also play with the kids you know like playtime mm-hmm. is very important i think that's one thing we, we can actually learn from you know americans as a whole is even though they play a lot of times too much they don't really discipline we discipline kids a lot and we forget to mm-hmm. play with them and when we don't have that balance on either side there can be you know um disadvantages as well so always like i don't remember like um i guess kind of just like a segue into just gentrification as well for starting off um whenever i was younger uh, my parents would always try to pack me like asian food because that's all they would have and just food right yeah food and it's just um they my mom i remember this so vividly my mom would pack me like um we had this thing called a ben bao which is pretty much like a vietnamese steamed bun and i remember bringing it to, wow. to wow. lunch and i would just eat it and it's pretty much just like a steamed dumplings on the inside it's just pork and, it's dumplings yeah it's like pork like it's pretty, exactly yeah. but whenever i was cutting it open like oh my god like what is that are you eating a brain and like Kind of just being all grossed out about it. And, and now they want to eat it to be hip. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I, there were so many Asian foods, you know, that I would bring. And then they'd be like, oh, it's too smelly. Or, like, oh, what are you eating? Like, why are you eating that? Like, what is that, you know? And um, I remember being so embarrassed about it. And I remember this one time, all I would just, I just remembered it so clearly. You know, I felt so ashamed. I was like, oh, I don't even want to finish this. I don't even want to eat this just because everyone's staring at me and, like, looking at me, and so... But now, like, you see people charging, like, $15 for one of them or something, you know, and they're definitely just taking something that they... a culture they made fun of and just turning it into something cool just because it became mainstream, you know, just because it's, like, this new Asian fusion thing. But I just remember, you know... It wasn't how it was back then, you know? Back then, if you were different, you were made fun of in high school, and yeah. it was... I mean, it's great, I guess, to see that it's a lot more accepting nowadays to, to for Asian cuisine. I mean, that's great, but it's just like it's insane, you know. It's it's upcharged and it's like turned into some weird like hipster thing. I'm sorry, I, I didn't know all of this because I really enjoy eating them. 
But you would know better than I than I will. Uh, no, I mean, no, I'm like it's fine. Like I know people. I don't. It's not like the people eating it. It's just like the people like making it. Making it's them, just it's yeah. Fine. yeah. And I remember, you know, it's fine if if you want to honor the culture and you want to you know do what you want to do. But it's it's another thing to kind of like take it and kind of just into something else completely and then call it authentic. I think that's <laughs> the one thing that kind of just you know. If you're eating like kimchi with French fries, like that's not authentic Korean cuisine. Um, yeah, and then, you know it's just—I mean, it's great that it's being recognized as more normal, like Asian foods are. But you know, back then it definitely was not like that. You know, if you were eating kimchi at school, it would smell bad, like vinegar, or like people would just make fun of you for it. Yeah. Yeah, and also I remember during in kindergarten we were having like a picture day going on. Yeah. And I told my mom about it, and I think. I was like, oh, yeah, I told my mom, I remember telling her, I was like, oh, I want to dress up for picture day, and she made me wear, like, this, um, it's called an yai, which is, like, a traditional Vietnamese, um, dress, mm-hmm. thing, and, um, my mom was like, oh, yeah, just wear it, you look cute, and, like, blah, blah, and I remember going to school, and everyone's just, like, in jeans and a t-shirt, and they're all, like, staring at me, and, oh, like, no. asking me why, and, like, sometimes I'm not, kids are kind of mean, they don't have a filter, they kind yeah. of just say whatever yeah. they want to say, yeah. it's so self I mean, I think, honestly, I think ever since then, I was always kind of, like, scared of wearing one. Conscious about and it. And because it kind of just trauma. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I just remember everyone staring at me, and everyone's like, what are you wearing? Like, what is that? Like, you know, why are you wearing pants under a dress or something? Like, I don't know. It was, it was all over the place. But then now you see, you know. Oh, it's so hip now. Forever 20. Oh, yeah. Celebrities wearing them, and it's like the hip thing, everybody wants to get one. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, this is just so insane, you know, like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's great that Asian culture is being embraced yeah. uh, in whatever form. But yeah. I think it'd be nice to like learn more about the culture yeah. behind it as well, and like to see why it is the way it is and why things are the way they are. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I'm sure you're wondering why didn't that happen when I was growing up when I was still in high school, you know, grade school. Ah, that was cool, whatever. I'm <laughs> <laughs> a cool. Authentic Asian food. <laughs> yeah, like, I remember I was being embarrassed. Like I was super embarrassed about my culture. Now, um, now I'm very appreciative, and I definitely embrace my culture now that I'm older and seeing like it. It definitely, you know, makes it shows my individuality. You know, it makes me special as a person. You know, having this culture behind me. But you know, back then I definitely tried to hide it. Like back yeah. then I tried to be you know, American as possible. Like I didn't, I did not want to be Asian at all. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be American because. You know, at that time when you were younger, like, being American was what you are supposed to be because you are in America. And so yeah. I think, you know, when I was younger, I definitely tried to stray away from my culture. And, you know, because it wasn't, like, people weren't really accepting, I don't think, back then when you were younger, you know, about culture and everything. But now, I mean, I guess it's great that everything's more progressive. Yeah. I don't know that people are talking more about culture and cultural appropriation. I think it's great to have that awareness. So it definitely makes me more proud of my culture and, like, where I come from and, like, how hard my parents work and... I definitely do appreciate that culture. That's good. Very good. And along that line of cultural um, exploration, uh, I have this the other thing I do now with my guests. I call it cultural curiosity, where mm-hmm. you know, you've told me so much about Vietnam and you know how that has influenced you as a person, about the food, mm-hmm. you know, just things that are very peculiar to you, being Vietnamese mm-hmm. as well as American. Now, you know I'm Nigerian, right? Yes. Any- <laughs> oh, I don't know what gave that away. Is there anything- <laughs> do you have anything you're curious about to know about my country? It could be any question, and don't worry, nothing is off limits. Well, I know you just visited recently mm-hmm. so want to see like how that trip was for you and if there's any that you learned yourself well, while you were over there 
That's a good question. Thank you for asking that. It was it was really nice. Um, it was my first time in seven years. I got to see people again that I hadn't seen in a while. And I think when you're away from home, well, whatever home might mean to you, you mm-hmm. tend to adopt this romantic attitude towards it because you're so far away. It's almost like mm-hmm. that boyfriend that got away and you never remember <laughs> all of the bad parts. You just fantasize in the way. And then reality sets in, in the form of culture shock, or in my case, reverse culture shock. When you, you know visit home, it's like, Oh my goodness, this wasn't wasn't it at all. I mean, there were some moments, there were some moments like that. But one thing that was a complete match for me, that wasn't a mismatch, was the people. You know, the people were still as good. They were still as warm, as as friendly. And then, even though I really didn't get to explore the food, and one thing that really stood out for me was the fruits. Like Teresa, okay. yeah. When you live in the US for so long, your taste buds get altered. Like the first time I lived there, <laughs> I remember really questioning like the bananas because they were they, they they tasted altered in a way. They didn't taste really fresh, almost like they had to be sped up to be ripened. They didn't go through the natural process of aging. And even the chicken and the eggs tasted funny. The milk tasted funny. So when I went back mm-hmm. home, and of course I stayed here for seven years, so all of that it became a non-issue. But when I went back home, I remember biting into a banana and I was like, my goodness, this is what banana should taste like. I also had the same experience with oranges and then pineapples and it tasted really good. It wasn't like the, the, the saccharine sugar pineapple we're eating here in the US. Like seriously, those are not real fruits. I don't know what's happening in the labs <laughs> where they're growing them, but just biting into biting into a chunk of pineapple was like oh my god and I, you know it was pouring all over me and you know the juices were dripping all over my face i really didn't <laughs> mind the mess because i was i wasn't i was in a zone like i was just locked mm. out. i was gonna check into a hotel room do not disturb sign it was gonna be me and that pineapple <laughs> <laughs> i think i missed that part of it that i didn't even know existed and it was very overwhelming too because you know people i hadn't seen in a while and we still have some a lot of you know infrastructure issues back home you know with corruption bad roads just things that i really so working and i'm hoping you know we get to start working on our problems so we can be more you know developed we've been developing for too long at this stage we need to like turn our status from a developing nation to a developed country but all in all um i i love going back home i i I look forward to the opportunity again and i also look forward to you know using this platform to you know talk talk about my country because the people the people has that's i mean that's so that wonderful people despite you know Mm -hmm. what the country as a whole um the challenges we have currently yeah so that was that (laughs) thank you craving for fruit (laughs) oh you need to you need to i don't know how we're gonna make that happen but if you're ever 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 if you're ever curious about going to nigeria let me know even if i know how to take there i definitely have people that can you know take you around and you need to try the food there they're very amazing and there's such so so many similarities between you know my culture and your culture because we love rice as well maybe we don't eat rice as much as you guys do but we do we do a lot of magic with rice and you love the food and that's why for me eating asian food like korean food or even vietnamese food or thai food it was very easy for me to adapt quickly to that then you know pickles and american food because it felt like just a crossover from what i was used to growing up in nigeria so i don't think you're gonna have any problem in that department given that you love to go on food adventures go find a way to nigeria asap <laughs> yeah i definitely oh, i definitely want to now yeah that's really great i'm really curious to try the food just because like we both do have a more adventurous i guess like food palette yes. than american just because like i'm not scared to try anything crazy i can do i can i try everything <laughs> twice you know first time for the novelty and the second it's time like, to see if i like you know. it but i can try anything <laughs> Same, same. <laughs> well, good, good, good. We're kind of nearing the end of the podcast, and I just wanted to ask you this. I'm very curious. So I know you do love learning new stuff, and I like that you're very um, on, you think on your feet, even if you don't have certain skills that your clients need. You mm-hmm. like you know get up because I remember when you had to help me do like a Mailchimp, was it something like for my mailing okay. for the website? You're like, girl, I don't know how to do this, but but give me some minutes. I'm gonna get back with you now. And then bam, you did that. So I I really like <laughs> that about you. What do you think the future is gonna be like for you? Like, what are your next steps? Oh man, so. 
I think I've always told people that I want to do graphic design, and I think now I do want to focus on web design, and I want to kind of just really be confident in web designing and text hierarchy, and then maybe in the future kind of just be able to design and code a website as well, so kind of like the full package of everything. Um, I just want to be really good at what I do, because right now I think I'm just kind of like learning a little bit here, learning a little bit there. I'm kind of just exploring exactly what I do want to do, um, just because now I have more time and more freedom to do it now that I'm out of school. Yeah. Um, so now I think my main goal in the future is just to really solidify my passion for design and really be confident in what I do and confident in my career path. And I think I still do have a long way to go just because I just feel so new still to this whole thing. Yeah. I think I want to be really strong in my field. I do want to be more passionate, more strong, and, like, more influential in my work as well. And, you know, to change the world through design, you know, I do want to make an impact somehow, and I do want to accomplish that in the future. Oh, one thing I know is that, well, from working with you, I know whatever your hands want to do, you're going to do them well, and I wish you the very best in all of your ventures. Thank you so much. You're so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if you don't have any other questions for me, this is the end of the podcast, and I was just going to wrap it up. Are there any questions you have for me, perhaps? <laughs> no, this is just, this has been so much fun i was so nervous but you made it so easy and it was just so much fun being and you know talking about myself (laughs) you made it really easy for me and i love it well thank you so much you know thanks for sharing your story and it was your first podcast right it's the first time being on a podcast it's the first like first anything yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know i've I've already told you this but i love your podcast and i love everything that it stands for and i love how versatile you are as a person and i think it's really great with what you're doing and i will always support you in this podcast don't make me cry Thank you so much, Teresa. And I, I, I'm, I'm glad and thankful that we met. Like, even though we haven't met in person, per se, but I'm glad that you are yeah. my team. Thank you for all you've done with the podcast, especially with the, with the um, website, because I didn't have time to put that together. You're like, you know, even when you walk to the timeline and you're very pumped, you're very, even up, up until like, I think two o'clock one morning, we're still working on that, on the website together. Thank you so much. I couldn't have, you know, put that together without you. And that's why I highly recommend you. And that's why I wanted to bring you on the podcast as well, to talk about your story and, you know, your creativity and just so much you have to offer the world and i'm gonna send more people your way <laughs> and oh, thank you know. so i will have a discount code for them if you do <laughs> yeah so you guys um i'm gonna share Teresa's website that she shared with me go onto her website and email her whatever level of contact information she has there contact her on that information and you know get started from that and tell her you, you heard about her services from the more civil podcast and she'll be sure to give you a discount and on that note it's been really nice talking to Teresa we talked about growing up in America with a Vietnamese background we talked about her switching majors and how she was able to convince her Asian parents to let her do advertising despite <laughs> her going into school as a pre-biology as a biology student instead of um, to enter into ophthalmology school we talked about cultural patients we talked about just um, parents expectations how that has also helped her forge you know her niche in advertising and we talked about creative processes about food about culture and so many things if you enjoy this content please don't forget to email me and let me know or leave a comment or two on the website and if you are interested in being a part of this show as well email me at talk to more and mostable.com i'd like to share your stories uh, everyone has a story i always say that everyone has a story there's always a story and there's always somebody that can connect with that story we are all here struggling and you know, thriving in different ways it's been very nice for us to talk about our processes and how we get things done and this is one of the platform for that i love to talk to people i love to share stories and i love to find ways to connect to people and also help people connect with one another so um this has been the merciful podcast and i remain your host merciful catch you guys on another episode and thank you all right girl that was it <laughs> yes, that was fun <laughs> thank you very 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 much um